I am Emily Lyons. In 2011, without a high school degree and with no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. Since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be utterly lifted and shifted by these people too. All inspiring people are inspired people, so get ready to be inspired. Entrepreneur Marika Meeks is the founder of Incredible Stella, a Scottsdale-based dog advocacy brand. Now, in 2013, she was a busy wife, mother, and entrepreneur when, at the age of 41 and with no family history, she was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer. Her whole world was turned upside down in an instant, and life as she knew it would never be the same. So treatment, including non-traditional treatment, a lumpectomy, radiation, and a mastectomy was a grueling two-year ordeal, and there were moments when she thought she was going to die. But she fought, and she was able to beat it, but was left in a very strange place. Compounding her fatigue, sorrow, and listlessness were intense feelings of guilt and shame because she wasn't enjoying every moment of her post-cancer life. Now that was until an unexpected rescue dog came into her life that changed everything. A pit bull named Stella. This is a beautiful and inspiring story, and I am so glad I get to share it. All right. So today I am joined by Marika Meeks. Welcome, Marika. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Thank you. So now I can't remember how I first came across you and Stella, but it it would have been some viral video a few years ago, and I've just been following your journey ever since. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. And right when I introduced myself, I'm so glad you brought Stella into the equation. Stella's my dog, because I realized that a lot of times I refer to us as we or us and people <laughs> must think, are you crazy lady? Like, it's just you. I don't have multiple personalities. It's just me and my dog. That's the us and the, and the we. So for people who aren't familiar with yours and Stella's story, tell us about it. Yeah. Uh, well, I was sort of, I don't want to say I fell into it. I had sort of a rough entry because um, my journey kind of started when I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer, just totally mm-hmm. out of the blue. It was a real big shock to me because I had had, I'd been very diligent about mammograms and I had four of them that, you know, said I was, didn't have it. Wow. Yeah. And after I was diagnosed and I really wasn't diagnosed except for the fact I had a weird experience after I got my fourth mammogram back, I had actually felt a lump in my breast and I had the the fourth mammogram. The, The doctor didn't do a biopsy based on my mammograms and I was going to bed one night and Brian and I got into bed, perfectly happy day. I leaned over to give him a kiss. So I leaned like to my left. And when I did that, just to give him a kiss good night, my hand must have just grazed across where that lump was. And I didn't really realize that. But all of a sudden, like I had this like shock of terrible energy that just went through my body from head to toe. And mm-hmm. it, the hair stood up on my back of my neck, on my arms. I got goosebumps. And I just felt like just as the most awful sense of dread. And and I was very confused. So I was trying to figure out like, what was I thinking about? You know, what's, you know, where did this feeling come from? And then it sort of dawned on me that it was when I grazed across where that lump was. And that was a Sunday night. I told Brian, I said, I'm, I'm going to demand they do a biopsy tomorrow. 
I just felt like my body was telling me there was something very wrong. So that was Monday I had the biopsy. Friday, I found out I had cancer. And yeah, it was a pretty traumatic, well, everything about cancer is traumatic, but it was a pretty traumatic way because I felt like I was trying to be really proactive and follow all best practices and et cetera, and trust the medical profession. And, And really what it came down to is me learning to trust myself and my my own body. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that doesn't really explain Stella, but that's sort of like where the story begins. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came out to Scottsdale. We were living in Indiana at the time for treatment. I declined chemo. I was already stage three, which is a real bummer considering, you know, I mean, the radiologist actually told us after the biopsy that now they knew what and where they were looking, they were able to see that tumor in all four of my mammograms. So I had lost oh. a, lot of, a lot of time, you know, I mean, that's a four years is a big deal. So here I am stage three, they want me to do chemotherapy. And if I did chemotherapy and surgery and hormone therapy and radiation, they told me that I would have a 61% chance of being alive in five years. And that just was like, I'm sorry, what? You know, I mean, you want me to go through all of that and, and then you're giving me like a coin toss at, at the end. And, and I had, you know, sort of been around at that point, other, other women that were battling breast cancer and I saw how they were suffering and I saw what their families were going through and then they were dying anyway. And I was just so like freaked out by that, but also like angry because it just seems so unfair that my body, sort of my intuition came back to me again and told me that very specifically that chemo was going to kill me. I would die from the chemo. And so I had to make a really, really agonizing choice. Do I do what the doctors are telling me to do or do I follow this intuition that is really the thing that diagnosed my cancer to start with? And I ended up electing to decline chemotherapy. And that was the most difficult decision of my life and probably the most stressful one too, because it upset, you know, a lot of people in my family and people just assumed that I was just sort of giving up and and letting the disease run its course and and I wasn't going to do anything about it. And it was a really stressful time. And but it turns out that it was the right decision for me. I'm thrilled to be able to say that this January of 2020, um, I'm actually at seven years. That isn't to say that it's been an easy road because I've been to hell and back. But really, when I got done, like with my treatment and the- What was the treatment then if you didn't do chemo? Yeah. Well, I, Emily, I was like really desperate. Like I, if I read something, researched something, I was trying it. I mean, I was like really, really, I've done everything. I ended up coming out to a clinic in Scottsdale that did an alternative therapy And I spent a lot of time and a lot of money to go through that treatment here in Scottsdale. And I was here for about eight months. So it's that also wasn't for the faint of heart. I mean, I was getting IVs six days a week, three hours at a time. What was in the IVs? Oh, gosh, I was so much stuff there. I I can't even really remember. Was it a lot of natural based stuff? Yes. Yes. It was all designed around like fixing my body's immune system and allowing it to create an environment where my body could take care of the cancer. And to me, that made a lot more sense than, you know, killing everything and hoping the good stuff grows back and the bad stuff doesn't. Um, I was rebuilding my money, my body and, but it costs a lot of money. And I remember like having this 
feeling as I was, because insurance doesn't cover any of it. Hmm. I remember just being so depressed thinking, oh my gosh, I am like my whole life I've been an entrepreneur and I've worked my booty off and now like everything I work for is, is gone. Like it's all going towards like me surviving. Mm. And so I'm having this like pity me moment. And then I thought, oh my God, Marika, you need to look at this differently. You have worked hard your whole life to be able to earn and save this money so that you have the privilege of getting this treatment right now. And I realized that it really was that. I realized that I really have so much to be grateful for. You know, there's- the- What a powerful- change in thinking. Yeah, it really was. And it was necessary. It was a really necessary one. And, you know, there's people that live paycheck to paycheck that are going through cancer, but they have to be back at Walmart stocking those shelves because otherwise they don't have a roof over their head. So for me, it was a a real like quit feeling sorry for yourself and realize like this this is a gift. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was out here for a really, really long time and I finally got to go home. I was emotionally, I was totally a wreck. And then I, I got kind of had this like moment where I realized that, okay, well, I'm done with cancer treatment, but I had been dealing with this stuff for several years at that point. And I was like, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. You know, like when people plan to get married and plan this big wedding and, and every day there's like stuff that has to be prepared for the wedding and that sort of becomes life. And then the day of the wedding happens and then you get back out from the honeymoon and you think, oh, hey, what's, what's regular life? I don't remember what yeah. that is anymore. <laughs> it's, it's like I was lost. I was confused. I was guilty. I was shameful. What were I, you feeling guilty and shameful for? I felt guilty and I felt a lot of shame because I kind of felt like I sucked at coping with life. I didn't oh. feel like I was coping as well as other people in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. But most of all, I knew that I was one of the lucky ones. And yet, I was just as lost and shell-shocked and had so much stress and anxiety as when I was actually dealing with cancer. So here I end up at a place where I get this wonderful second chance, but what am I doing with it? And so for me, that shame led to then isolation, which led to depression, which led to my world getting very, very small because I, you know, we don't want to talk about the things that make us shameful. And that made me feel shameful, Mm. which is just kind of a spiral downhill. Yeah. When I got back to Indiana, it was odd because I really didn't know how to integrate back into life or with my family. And I have two girls. My youngest was 16 at the time. And while I was going through, I did go through radiation. While I was going through radiation here in Scottsdale, I got a call one morning that she had left a suicide note. Mm. And and nobody knew where she was. And that was an awful nightmare. Yes, it was an awful experience. And my husband was able to find her. I talked to her on the phone. And we both decided, let's just do this one day at a time. If she, if she would hold on for one more day, I would too. And pretty soon I'd get to be back with her in Indiana. And we'd start like fixing all this mess. And I got back to Indiana. And we just really couldn't reconnect. It's just like... So much water had gone under the bridge that it was just strained and awkward and uncomfortable. Anyway, I was really worried about that relationship and where that was going and where she was going to go in her life. And, you know, was this like sort of the forward trajectory for her of, of being in this state? And when I went through radiation about the same time that I got the call about Katie leaving a suicide note, I met this little dog and the dog ran up to me. And I got down on my knees and 
it put its little paws around my waist mm. and it just held its head still on my chest. Aww. And, it there. and I had this like whoosh of energy similar to wh- what I had when I had basically diagnosed my own cancer. But this time, instead of it being this like sense of dread, it was like this wave of like life and positivity and feeling. And I felt like this hole opened up in the middle of my chest and I, it just took my breath away. I didn't know like what is going on, you know, but I'm in Scottsdale. My family's in Indiana. I'm in no position to get a dog. And I'm thinking, you know, this is crazy. So I let that go. I'm like, you know, no, we're not getting a dog. This doesn't make any sense. Our life is like a shambles. We can't bring a dog into all of this. So when I got back to Indiana, I just couldn't shake like this pole, this universal pole for a dog. And I had a little bit of a problem though, because as much as the universe I felt like, and again, you know, I've learned to trust my intuition as much as the universe was pulling me towards getting a dog. My husband, who I credit a lot with me surviving all this, who I think is my guardian angel, he had one request when we got married and that was that we wouldn't have a dog. And mm. and so I was really torn because I didn't want to undermine our relationship and our marriage. But at the same time, I, I was just, I couldn't like get this out of my mind. And I, I never asked him if I could get a dog. I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. But what I did instead, Emily, is I showed him lots of pictures of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, it was very subtle. It was like, oh, isn't this one cute? This one's up for And this went on, this went on for like probably three months. And then <laughs> we were at dinner one night and I showed him a picture of a dog and he just kind of put his fork down and he was like, for the love of God, would you please just fill out an adoption application? Oh my gosh. So I quickly ate my dinner and then I ran to the other room and I filled out an application and four days later I met Stella. And so that was sort of the beginning. And when I went into the adoption event for Stella, I, I really knew that I needed that connection like I had with that little dog. I needed like a, a soul match, not just any dog. I needed my dog and mm. I just... I went in there and I, I said a little prayer and I said, you know, don't let me leave here with any dog. Just if my dog's here, that's the dog I need to take home. And really, you know, we mentioned that Katie, our relationship had been strained and she was not really engaging or talking very much. You know, she's 16, being a typical 16 year old and dealing with her own anxiety and depression. And she said to me the night before the adoption event, she said, mom, can I go with you tomorrow to the adoption event? And I was like, oh my God, she speaks. Um, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I said, fine. I said, but I don't want to feel pressured to get a dog. I only want my dogs here. Like that's what I'm going to adopt, but I don't want you like leaving there disappointed. And she said, no, I understand. That's fine. So we go to the adoption event. I find and fall in love with Stella. We take her home. And that day, February 13th, 2016, an amazing thing happened. The day that Stella came home, Katie and I instantly fell back in love with each other as we were falling in love with Stella. So Stella gave me my daughter back. Stella kind of bridged that gap. Stella was the mutual love and mutual interest that Katie and I could share that made us whole again. And that was really the beginning of where my life changed and my future changed as well. And so that's why I speak in terms of we, because we on a lot of different levels, we, we are one. Mm-hmm. 
So when you first met her, you obviously got that feeling again? I did, but I was super nervous as well <laughs> because I, I didn't want to make a mistake. I really wanted to have time to like spend with her and make sure that it was the right fit. But as I'm sort of in the early stages of that at the adoption event, this uh, annoying couple comes up and they're like muscling in on the action and they want to like, <laughs> they want to spend time with Stella. And I was like, I was here first, you know, back up. I, so I was getting kind of annoyed with them. And I asked the guy, I said, do you mind if I take her for a walk around the store just so I could, you know, know her a little bit better? And he says, yeah, that's fine. And, you know, I didn't really want need to take her for a walk. I just wanted to get her away from them. And I wanted to have a little bit more time before I made up my mind. But there was nothing. I, I just told myself at the end, like, if I wasn't going to adopt Stella, what dog would I adopt? Like, what dog would be a better match than her? And that's when I decided to take the plunge and take her home. So where did she come from? She and her sister, they were dumped by the side of the road in Indiana uh, in January. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah, pretty rough. They were named uh, Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> um, <laughs> Stella was Shirley. They were taken, obviously, to animal care and control. A rescue in the town actually pulled them and got them both into a, a different foster family. And the foster family is uh, essentially where she was when we adopted her. Mm-hmm. And were you, because she's a pit bull, correct? Yes. Were you nervous about adopting a pit bull? You know, I, I don't really know why I was so drawn to pit bulls. I'd never had one before. I had had several other dogs, but never a pit bull. I didn't really know a whole lot about them besides the headlines, you know, the awful headlines that you yeah. read. And I just felt really drawn. You go through Pet Finder and when I would do a search, it would bring up like 67,000 dogs are available. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's so sad. But it was the pit bull that I was drawn to. And yes, I was very diligent about like making sure that she was exercised and making sure that we were working on, you know, basic training and obedience. And I just wanted to make sure that we wouldn't have a problem. And I took her to the vet, like probably just a, a month after we had her. And she had a bladder infection and they had to like do a catheter thing. So she actually had to be like put under and they kept her for the day. And when I went to go pick her up, I was all excited to see her. And the vet tech doesn't bring her into the room and says that she needs to talk to us. And I was like, okay, oh my God, like what's going on? And the lady says to me, she goes, I don't think you have any idea what you've gotten yourself involved with. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, Stella is a very dangerous dog. She goes, what? Yeah. She goes, you need to be aware of this. She goes, you are jeopardizing your family, your family's safety. She goes, your insurance company will not cover. She goes, you could lose your home. She said, you, either this dog injures or kills somebody. She goes, you have no idea what you've gotten yourself into. Oh my gosh. And I said to her, I go, I go, what does she do? And she said, well, she didn't do anything <laughs> yet. And I was like, what, like what? Like I was so confused. And, and so I'm listening to all this and I'm, I'm like feeling my heart just drop into my stomach. And I was like, oh God, what have I done? I've solved this huge liability of this dog. And it, you know, I mean, she's our dog. And I, I was just like so stressed out about it. And Stella came in and I was like, hey Stella. And I was like a little bit standoffish. And we wrapped up the appointment and we drove home and I was kind of like just had my head in my hand and I just felt like I wanted to cry. And Brian goes, I think she was just trying to scare you. He goes, don't listen to, to any of that. You know, you know Stella a lot better than she knows Stella and don't worry about it. 
So I really did worry about it though. Like I was like super, any little thing, we're not playing tug of war because sometimes she growls when she, when she does that in playing, I found out, but it's like any little thing I was like, oh God, you know, here we go. And a few weeks later, I got to talk to the manager of the clinic and I just kind of like, I don't even know how I brought it up, but I just asked her a little bit about the vet tech and that I was a little worried about what she had told me and, and wanted to know, like, did I make a bad decision? And the manager told me that they had actually fired vet tech and they fired her because she was taking upon herself to kind of advance her own agendas and beliefs regarding all dogs, not just pit bulls, and really doing a disservice to not only the veterinary care that they were providing because she was even undermining their instructions, but also doing things like she did to me with Stella. And so I really realized at that point that some people are really attached to their point of views and opinions and, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe they had a bad experience somewhere along the line and and I, I you know I'm not going to tell you that there's never a bad thing that happens I mean clearly like things can go wrong but I think with just like people you know you can't just say okay one guy murdered somebody or something and so all people are murderers I mean each of us deserve including these dogs deserve to be looked at as individuals and assessed based on their behavior, not the behavior of a totally different event. And when we get hassled over Stella being a pit bull, I often wonder, like someone would say, you know, those are baby killers, right? I mean, I've heard that multiple times. And I'm thinking, you know, if you're worried about like people being harmed or killed, your species to start with are not any type of dogs, you need to start with humans killing other humans. I mean, because there's a lot more incidences of that clearly than any dog killing any or injuring any person. And so I just think it's a little bit like, it seems a little bit of a confused issue to me. And mm-hmm. people are very impassioned about it on both sides. Mm-hmm. I know in Canada, they're illegal still. Yeah. In different provinces, they have different laws. So they're not illegal in all of Canada, but there are some places where there are breed restrictions. Yeah. You can't have them in some parts. Hmm. Isn't that wild? Because when I was growing up, though, my uncle had one and was the biggest sweetheart. Oh my God, I love that dog. You know what I love about them is they are so freaking cuddly. Like they're so human in that capacity. They There's a lot of breeds that aren't all that cuddly. They don't want to like snuggle up and be close. But every dog that we've had through, they just they just want to melt into you. They just crave to have that, not just the affection, but like that closeness. And mm-hmm. I really think that's therapeutic to, I mean, I think it could be therapeutic to everybody. Oh, I agree a hundred percent. I have three dogs. So oh, do you really? <laughs> yeah. I have little ones because I live in the big city. So oh, great. I don't have a, a big space. So I have a Yorkie, a Morkie and a, and a little rescue who's Aww. a little bit of everything. Well, that's fun. But yeah, no, when I move out, hopefully this year to outside of the city and I get a bigger property, I'll get another rescue. I think I'll go to one of the shelters in the States where they're they're going to, one of the ones on death row. That's great. There's no shortage of dogs that need help and need homes. And part of the reason I mentioned that Stella was fostered when we got her is Stella's, she's a very sensitive, intuitive dog, but she's you know, there's a, like the vacuum to everything. There's like, you have this quality over here, but it you it comes with this quality on the backside. Um, mm-hmm. She's sensitive and she's intuitive. And I can't even like begin to imagine how it was for her at the shelter. And I was so thankful to this foster family that took her in. They had like 
six kids and three other dogs. And, and, you know, there was a lot of like activity in their home, but she was in a home and not in a shelter. And I had never even heard of the concept of fostering dogs before. Like that was totally new. And that's kind of how we got started on this whole like journey with rescuing fostering dogs is that we really wanted to pay that forward. And so we started really just a month or so into having Stella. We volunteered to foster two puppies, which we didn't know it when we fostered them, but they ended up both being parvo positive. Yeah. And which is a lot. People listening don't know what parvo is. It's a virus that can very quickly kill any dog, but especially the young puppies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was our first experience. So I went from my husband, you know, obviously adamant about not having dogs and being okay with me getting a dog to now we're fostering these two puppies that <laughs> round the clock care. But in a way, it was so nice for Brian and I to have that, that we were working on together. Mm-hmm. You know, we would eat dinner together and the puppies were so frail and sick, they couldn't even maintain their own body heat. So they would just tremble. And so we would sit at the dinner table. We would both have a heating pad. We'd each have a puppy on our lap, holding the puppy with one hand and eating dinner with the other hand. And we did that. And I don't know if he knows this or not, but it's like every time he would help and step up, I just fell a little bit more in love with him for doing that. And it really was, a, a has been this whole time, a, a very special part of our relationship. So anyway, he's my guardian angel. Is he still with you? Oh, Brian, yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm, mean, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's yeah a- he is still alive. Okay, good. I just, yeah, when you said guardian angel, I thought, oh no, did you lose him? Yeah, no, I just think we get sent different people in our life. And um, 100%. You know what I mean? That are just for us in whatever season we're going through. And I refer to that as my guardian angel. And yeah, he sh- every day he's willing to help me do something with these dogs. And if you asked him, he'd tell you, he said, if if we weren't together, he would never have a dog. I mean, he obviously keeps Stella if that was necessary, but he he doesn't need dogs. He, he's, you know, but he does it because number one, he's seen what this has done for me. But number two, with our Instagram following and sharing our story and our lives with so many people around the world, we say like every story involves a dog, but it's not really about dogs. Our stories are about providing the world hope. Mm. And, and that's where I think he's realized that, that we have an ability to really make an impact. Mm-hmm. And so you, that led you to opening up your own charity, correct? Yeah. We were, we took us a little bit and a whole lot of money and our accountant was like, uh, you might want to think about starting your own 501c3, not judging or anything, but yeah, we had tens of thousands of dollars that we were, that we were spending. And so we were able to get our 501c3 set up. And of last year we were approved by the IRS. So we are up and running and we have so many exciting things that we're working on. And really our goal is always centered around three messages to educate and underwrite span neuter initiatives Mm -hmm. to encourage people to adopt and not shop for dogs. And then also to advocate for the bully breed and really everything we do is is to that end. Mm -hmm. How many dogs generally come through your place? Well, 
Our place is our actual home. So my motto as a, as an organization has been for some time is one dog at a time. And sometimes my husband shakes his head and says, why do we have six right now? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, but the bigger numbers come when we take in a litter of puppies or something. But mm-hmm. for the most part, we try to bring a dog at a time and we integrate them into our home life. We give them the opportunity to be socialized with another dog, which is Stella. We work on, you know, if they need potty training or they need this or they need that, we let them sort of decompress and unwind. And our dogs come from all over. And it's shocking to think when I added them up at the end of the year, we had rescued and rehomed 56 dogs in 2019. So that's amazing, but I'm also like looking like what comes next. And so now we've been kind of on the hunt for a bigger property with an outbuilding that we can really kind of grow what we're doing because we're very, very fortunate because of how we bring the dogs in. um, They get a lot of FaceTime on our social media accounts and they go to, they not only get adopted fairly quickly, but they go to just wonderful, wonderful homes. And, um, you know, we need to keep on, on leveraging that and helping more and more dogs. So it's pretty amazing. But, you know, people always say, oh, what you do is so amazing. And I'm like, you know, a lot of what I do, I do for myself just out of purely selfish reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm not like rescuing a dog, I start to like get a little bit in a funk and I feel like I'm just sort of stagnating. And then I get to go bring this dog home and it's the dog rescue for me has been like the best antidepressant there is. It keeps me busy. It keeps me active. It, it requires problem solving, creative problem solving with every single animal we bring home because they're all different. And it's always inspiring to me. So you set out to rescue them and they're actually rescuing you. Absolutely. That's the case. Absolutely. So who do you currently have? Right now we have one dog that's not in our home. It's with one of the gals that is in our organization. (laughs) And I am just about to go and get another dog that's going to come home with us. So right now Stella's had about a week and a half of just us. (laughs) So we'll let her have that and then uh, we'll be bringing another pup home here real soon. How is she like with the other dogs? She's been a really gracious, gracious host to all of the dogs from puppies to older dogs. I do, you know, I do have parameters that I go by when I bring a dog in. So I can't take just any dog and there's a a number of factors why. Uh, First of all, we live on a lake lot, which means we only have a three foot fence. So I I don't take any dogs that I think are jumpers or that that's going to be problematic with. I don't bring home adult female dogs because I find that that's like stressful for Stella and I I don't want her to be stressed in her own home. And I don't bring home dogs that are like super rambunctious because Stella has hip dysplasia and I just know that that wouldn't be a great match for her. So I go kind of go through all those parameters and I have to keep, and some people, I'm only explaining this because some people are like, oh, why don't you help this dog? Or why don't you help that dog? It's not a good fit for me to help all of those dogs. And my priority is always to keep Stella safe and to keep our family safe. And I'm not a dog trainer. I'm not an animal behaviorist. So I'm going to take a dog that's at risk, but that I feel can blend in well enough that we can help that dog find a fantastic home. But at the same time, I'm always paying attention to making sure that my personal dog is never an unsafe position. Mm -hmm, Which is super important. Why do you think it's important for people to adopt? Well, I wish, first of all, that people would 
spay and neuter because if we had more people spay and neutering and, and less backyard breeders of dogs, you know, we wouldn't be in a situation that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to adopt because just yesterday we had six healthy dogs put to sleep at our county shelter. And Aww. yeah, and that's why, because their lives are literally like on the line. Why did they put them down? Just because they were at capacity? Well, there's a number of different reasons. They're at capacity. Maybe it's a a financial reason of them, you know, not being able to take the dogs. So many dogs come in each day. They sometimes have 70 dogs additional they get each day that are either owner surrenders or strays that are being picked up. And so there's just only so much resources, not just in kennel space, but in time and money to care for all of these animals. So it's a really big problem that I think has to be combated at the reproductive level. We have to do a better job spaying and neutering. And one of the initiatives we're working on for 2020 is called It Pays to Spay. And we are going to raise funds to have a mobile veterinary truck that does these procedures. Um, We're going to take it into low-income areas. And not only are we going to spay and neuter their dogs at no charge, but we're going to give them a stipend as well for each dog they they come in that they have altered. So I don't know how much it will be. Maybe it will be $25 or $50 or something like that. But to give these people an additional incentive to get their their animals fixed. There's an old saying that says, if you want to help a thousand dogs, spay and neuter one. And it's so very, very true if you spend any time at the county shelters or even up on Craigslist. It's like, you know, there's just breeders upon breeders upon breeders of people thinking that, you know, oh, okay, I'll just breed my two pit bulls and then I'll sell these dogs for four or $500 a piece. And many of those end up at, at the shelter, you know, the next year. And it's just really sad. It is. It's heartbreaking. It's crazy that the amount of dogs that get put down every year. Yes, it is really sad. And I, I try not to go there, but it's like I think about how many dogs are just like Stella that would be just such a help for for someone to have a dog like Stella that is not only sitting there suffering, scared, cold, lonely, but then eventually gets euthanized and what a loss that is to our society. And I think if we could marry up the amount of people who are suffering from whatever they're going through with a shelter dog that is also suffering, I think we could really have an opportunity to make a big change in the world. Oh, it's wild. I'd never had a rescue dog before my latest dog. She's been with me two years now, though. And it's just, I was very nervous, you know, I and I thought, what what kind of dog, like, why were they surrendered? I thought, oh, there's got to be a reason, like, they're hard to manage, they're hard to train or something, you know, I don't know why I, I had these thoughts. And I ended up going in and I, I saw, I named her Penny. She used to oh. be a Ashley, but I saw her and she was off to the side and she was just, she was so scared. And I asked about her and they said that she was awaiting behavioral testing because she had come from a bad situation and they didn't know if she was going to be adoptable and she wasn't eating and she needed surgery because she tried to chew out of a cage and broke her teeth. Um, Yeah, they'd found her with a rope around her neck that had worn off all the fur on the front of her neck. Yeah. And so I just kept at it and they, they kept telling me, you know, like, no, she's not available. So I ended up finding the director's email and I, I wrote him an email and I said, listen, like, this is who I am. 
Um, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a writer for these different publications. I want this dog and I will cover her, her medical bills. I will foster to adopt whatever situation, but she's not going to eat while she's there. So you aren't going to be able to do the surgery. So you aren't going to be able to do these behavioral testing. She's scared. And anyways, he wrote me back and behold and said, you know what, we'll make an exception. You can you can adopt her. But at the time I had my older dog, Pippa, and they were like, but she doesn't like other dogs. So bring your dog in, you come in, we'll take her out and we'll see how she acts. So they, the day we came in and they said, oh, she's really, really not good. She doesn't want to come out of the crate. We're going to carry her out, but she's, she's very scared today. So it was so funny. They brought her out. And as soon as she saw me and Pippa, she jumped out of the guy's arms and wanted, was like pulling to get to us. He was absolutely shocked. Like he was like, I can't believe like she's doing this. And she loved Pippa because Pippa's just a little morky, but also Pippa's very like not aggressive at all. And just kind of like, like there you are. Okay. We'll sniff you. That's it. She's not up in your face. And I think Penny really became very, very attached to her. And so, yeah, we brought her home and she's just been, the most amazing thing. Well, that is a great testimony. And I think that, you know, there's a couple of different aspects of that. I think a lot of people do think, oh, why was this dog returned? And they're looking at that through their kind of own filter mm-hmm. with how they would be with the dog. But uh, there's a, a lot of different levels of way people like treat and handle pet ownership. Some of it's cultural. Some of it is just, you know, they were raised, you know, where the dog is just in the backyard and you don't really interact with it and whatever. And so I think, you know, we do that with everything, right? We take our own filter of an experience and we think, well, that doesn't make sense. And then we get worried. And so many of these dogs are just diamonds in the rough that are just waiting for someone to like pick them up and be be who they are. And seeing how she has changed. I mean, at first, the first day I brought her home, she went and stood in the corner of my bedroom and just stood there with her head in the corner, just shaking. She ate her own poop. She peed and pooed all over the place. She chewed up everything just in fear. I thought, what have I gotten into? And now you would have no idea that's the same dog. Right. And I think that's a really important point is that the shelter environment for a dog is horrendously stressful. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like being in, in the worst possible prison system. Okay. I mean, and these dogs go through whatever trauma they went through to get to the shelter. Then they have to endure the trauma of the shelter where there's barking 24 seven. They Mm -hmm. never feel like they can let their guard down. They oftentimes don't get out of their kennels to get any type of exercise. A lot of them do stop eating because they're so stressed out. You take them out of that situation and you bring them home. And, and I think this is really important fact to share that these dogs need to decompress from being in that environment. And, and oftentimes it's going to take as long as 30 days for them to sort of unwind in your home, mm-hmm. in this brand new place with these brand new people, just like it would us, right? I mean, and figure out what life is for them from this mm-hmm. point going forward. But and it's, it's so remarkably rewarding once they do. It's a whole new level of love that in that you share with this animal. I mean, I remember is. the first time she played with a toy and, you know, she had no idea what a treat was and things like that and no idea what any obedience or anything like that was, any commands. And I could let her off leash anywhere and I've never trained her with this, but she will just follow me everywhere because she's just so loving and just always has her eyes on me. And I've just, I always say, I always joke and I say, nobody loves me in this world like Benny loves me. It's just this most rewarding thing that I've ever done. And I could never go back to buying a dog after 
you know, it's, it's interesting, I think that, or I've come to believe that somewhere along the line in dog evolution and human evolution, the dog's like DNA got combined with ours. They have an innate love and need and desire to be with humans. And it's such a beautiful thing because for all the dogs that we've had through, they all just want to be with people. They all just want to find their person. And Mm -hmm. even from puppies from a very young age, like they want to love you and it's like, where else can you find that in any other species? It's such a special thing. I know. I know. And I was saying that actually the other day. I was saying, you know, I'm not religious, but it's hard to not think that there is some higher power when something like dogs exist. Just Exactly. This, we could all learn a lot from our dogs. This perfect loving creature that just wants to be loved and make you happy. Yeah. Well, that's great. So do you do a lot of animal type things on your podcast? No, I haven't. Generally, it's around entrepreneurship because I am a an entrepreneur and I've started several companies over the years, but animals have always been my passion and people that know me joke around and call me Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> and no one day do want to relocate and, and have a shelter of some sort and yeah, no, it's definitely, definitely talking with you is very selfishly motivated <laughs> because oh, all right. I do well, love I've, Stella and following along with her journey and Well, dogs. I've been, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 19 and this is the worst paying but most rewarding <laughs> uh, job I've ever had. <laughs> what was your business before? Gosh, the last, well, when we really figured out that Scottsdale was where we wanted to live, you know, I'd been here for eight months and it was just like, I just knew I was being led to move here. We literally understood that life really was short. And we had four restaurants in Indiana. Oh, and wow. Yeah, we decided to up and sell those and sell our house. And we moved out here. So that was our, I did that for 10 years leading up to when we sold it. And then before that, I was one of the founders of a computer software company. And then, yeah, that takes me all the way back to my very first company when I was 19, where I did like, especially the advertising. So we did everything wow. from depends to, you know, whatever, all that, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's kind of what my, what my life has been. And it's, it's interesting though, because now that I'm doing this, obviously like I have a business acumen because that's been my background, but I'm finding that, you know, in the rescue world, a lot of folks don't have that business acumen. And so some of these rescues, like they don't operate their rescue as a business. Mm -hmm. They are so heart and passion based, which, which isn't a bad thing, but it's like, I've really learned with this is that I need to know like what my gig is, like what's in my circle and what's not in my circle and that I can't be all and do all things for all people. I have to know what my mission is and I have to be disciplined, even my heart, I have to be disciplined to be able to compartmentalize that to operate in this zone so that I can do it in a sustainable fashion. Because a lot of these rescues, like they don't know how they're paying the electric bill this month. And, mm. and, and then they're taking in like another 12 dogs. And I'm like, I'm like looking at it going, wait, you can't afford what you're doing right now. Like why, why would you bring in like these 12 dogs, one that has a major medical issue. Mm. And so I'm a little bit more, I guess, circumspective about that operation of some of the other decisions that that get made and they're all made with like the best of intentions but i am yeah i'm about like how can i sustain what i'm doing and you can 
get into dog rescue without taking a vow of poverty. Like I'm not, you know, that's not the thing for me. I don't, I don't want to live in squalor and, and have 50 dogs running around and not be able to, you know, put, fill my car up with gas. That's not my vision. I believe that we can all find a way to help while maintaining the life that we want to we want to live. And it doesn't make you selfish. It just means say that, you know, just because you, you want to help doesn't mean you have to help to a degree where you're going to live in a state of poverty yourself. But I, but I think there's some, there's some thought process behind all of that, that gets some people really caught up and then their life does become very stressful and they suffer like they're suffering. And I'm not interested in suffering. Um, no. I'm not saying that it's all fun and games, but it's like, you know, obviously what I do takes work, but you know, I want to be able to still live my life. Mm-hmm. Well, while living a positive mission that gives back. Yeah. Beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah. So now where can people donate to uh, Incredible Stella? Yeah, on our website at www.incredible and bull is B-U-L-L, Stella.com. But we also are on Venmo at Incredible Stella and also on PayPal at Marika Meeks, one word. Okay, and that's um, called M-A-R-I-K-A-M-E-K-S. Yes. yes, that's correct. Yeah, and that we are a 501c3, so it is a tax-deductible donation, and it helps us obviously um, not only help the dogs in our care, which sometimes, you know, medical expenses, you know, are, are a surprise, but we also are, work hard to support other rescues as well. If you're involved in the rescue world, you may already be aware of this, but it's it's kind of a toxic environment, you know, rescues, there's a lot of infighting and criticism between oh, wow. like rescues. Yeah, it's pretty sad. And, you know, we've traveled the country both on the book tour and, and just uh, the rescues we've been on. And it seems to be pretty consistent that no matter where you go, people are like, oh God, yeah, we know what you're talking about, which is really sad. And I, I think it's just because it's such an impassioned sort of like niche to be in dog rescue. We really work hard to kind of bridge that gap and we support other rescues here locally. So when people donate to us, that money might go to dogs in our care, but it also might go to a rescue here where their air conditioner's just gone out and they don't have the funds to fix it. Or, you know, another rescue that's providing transport of dogs up to Canada, we might donate money to them to meet their needs because it's not really about like where the dogs are being taken care of, it's that the dogs are being taken care of. And that means that it's not just our organization, but it's other organizations that are, you know, sort of have that same calling or doing that same work that we support. So last year, we were able to donate over $10,000 to other rescues. um, Yeah, to provide for their needs, we were able to donate over 2000 pounds of food that was needed at county when they ran short on budget at the end of uh, 2019. We donated 250 blankets because they were out of blankets. And we also provide support to community animals, whether they're dogs that are owned by homeless people that lack the ability to provide some of the care, or they may have an injury, which they don't have the funds or the transportation to get their dog to a vet. We help in those circumstances as well. And we always offer at our own expense to spay and neuter dogs if we're taking in surrendered puppies. Like, okay, we'll, we'll take these puppies and get these puppies adopted out but how how do we stop this from happening again in nine months well the only way we can do that is by make sure that the parents are spayed and neutered so when they'll allow us to do that we provide that and cover that expense as well wow that's amazing 
And where can people follow along with Stella's journey and everything that you're doing? Yeah, I would love it if they would follow us on Instagram at Incredible Stella and then also Facebook under the same name. Um, those are two of the best ways. And then I'm hoping uh, we're actually in the process of pitching a TV show based around our rescue work. And we want that obviously to help educate people as to what's going on in the rescue world and continue to provide like inspiration for other people to do small things like fostering a dog. And, you know, we can get more and more people educated as to what that is as a concept and then get them to take action because people don't understand that when you foster a dog, your, your costs are covered, food's provided, their medical care is provided. All you do is provide the safe, warm, loving home for these animals. And you can foster not only for like until the dog's adopted, but some organizations will allow you to foster for an afternoon for a sleepover weekend. Our local county shelters will allow you to go as early as 6 a.m., pull a dog and take the dog hiking, I take it for a walk. And those are just really little ways that give these dogs a chance to unwind from the very stressful shelter environment. And you are helping the dog, but you're also helping the dog become more adoptable because the more relief they get from being in that situation, the more adoptable they are to a family that's coming in to see them because they're not so pent up of, of, of being in this kennel and never being let out. So there's lots of little ways that we hope to educate people that they can they can help make a difference without, you know, like I said, you don't have to take a vow of poverty and you don't have to, you know, uproot your whole life or take on the full-time commitment for getting a dog, but you can still help. And for those people that, you know, are maybe nervous about adopting a dog, why not foster them? You're not making a long-term commitment. You're making a temp, giving this animal a temporary home. And if it doesn't work out for you, they go back to the shelter. If it does work out for you, wonderful. Mm -hmm. You can't go wrong. Yeah, I think it's a win-win. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Your story is phenomenal and I can't wait to hopefully see it on the big screen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're working on a screenplay for a movie too, which I'm super excited about. So once that gets closer, I'll let you know about that one too. Amazing. Thanks so much.